You're listening to the Propane Fitness Podcast, your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain with none of the gimmicks. With your hosts, Yusuf and Johnny. Simple rules, dramatic results. All good to be, man. We're seeing, we're seeing a Mike T seminar on Sunday, so we thought this nice. kind of well-timed with the RPE-based stuff. Pre-reading. Um, so we want to ask you what to ask him, and then nice. we get a sound clever. And then we'll ask him what to ask you on the way back, and it'll just be we'll just be a vessel for a playing off against each other. Guys. So it'll be like Inception. It'll be like a question within a question. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, so have you ever seen? Yeah. There's a guy called Darren Brown. He's like a TV psychic in the UK. I don't know if you've heard of him. And uh, he, no, oddly enough, I haven't. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's, he's a bit of a big deal at the moment. He um, he said like I will play nine of the best chess players in the world simultaneously I'll just put them all up on tables all around the room and just play them all and he beat five of them and then afterwards he was like all I did was I just copied one move from one guy ran over to the other side replicated that move and then just played the players off against each other that's really smart yeah. Is it, was it real has it been debunked yet were the chess players in on it well, it, well it's, it, it's not something, nothing to be nothing to debunk like he debunked himself so yeah he, that was it. he gave it away at the end so he like. That's still pretty incredible that that worked, though. And no one was like, "Hang on a minute, this guy's really good." <laughs> yeah. So that's all wow. we're doing with our podcast. We're just asking everyone their opinion, and then we give that opinion on the next podcast, and vice versa. So. That's pretty good. You don't, guys are like psychic. Don't reveal it. Um, do you want us to read out like all your? Um, oh yeah. Stuff, like your masters and no. If you want, it, or, or you, you can introduce me in whatever capacity you do or don't want, or you can ask me to introduce myself and I'll, I'll abbreviate it or whatever. Cool. Okay. Let's do that. Should we do that? Yeah. Yeah. Fine. All right. Doggy, doggy. Yep. Cool. The before, before we get into it, though, I actually wanted to just ask you guys about how propane's doing. Really, really bad. Really? No, no, no. <laughs> it's, um. <laughs> just be it the whole time. I can just okay. the whole time like this. Yeah. Fine. He's definitely lost size, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> right. Ready? So ready. We're not doing numbers. Just welcome to the... Yeah. Cool. <clears throat> so you can see what's going to break you. 100%. I, I, can, I, I remember the moment, actually, I was sat in a, like, catered accommodation in the middle of Wales. There was very little Wi-Fi. Um, and I just got your video where you were like, okay, um, I was training for exams at the time. I wasn't just there for fun. But um, I got your video and you were like, we're gonna go from plus or minus five grams to plus, plus or minus 25 grams. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa Eric, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> Does that mean I get to eat another 25 grams of carbs today? Or, <laughs> and then slowly over time, I was like, I, I, I remember not being able to understand, which looking back is bizarre. But I was like, how can it be plus or minus 25 if that doesn't mean I can go up to plus 25? And then you, uh, after you're right, you know, after 12 weeks or whatever, you just realize like, oh, actually, this doesn't matter that much. And we've both had extended periods of time of not tracking a thing. And you're like, oh, hold on, nothing happens actually when you know, the you, world doesn't. You are right. You have to prove it to yourself. You I do. Mean, we, we've got like yeah. traumatic memories of, like, I, I remember sat like refreshing my inbox waiting for you to like... <laughs> Up my carbs by 10 grams and if you hadn't be like oh what a dick like I can't be it. it's, it's such a like it's amazing how just the getting leaner just does that to you mm. and it's, it's like a 
steamroller. And at, at the time, I thought, oh, you know, I'm pretty psychologically stable. I can, <laughs> I can manage this. I'll be fine. Yeah, no way. Yeah. And it's interesting as well. You said that. So you you've as we said, you've kind of grooved the habits of um, precision with your tracking, and you've got that groundwork. The years of, of tracking. Um, incidentally, there's a guy called Gary Weber who talks about this with meditation. He says like you get the kind of advanced meditators that say, oh, you know, all you need to do is go straight to this technique or you, you're already pretty much there. And he says, like, that's like the Olympic diver telling people they can just jump off the top, <laughs> the top thing straight away, ignoring the fact that they've drilled thousands of mm. attempts on the lower ones until they've come up to it. And so for them, it's easy, but they're not seeing it from the beginner's point of view. But an- anyway, mm-hmm. what I was going to was um, the food discipline that bodybuilders have do you think that that's kind of this is a leading question but um i know you're going to say yes <laughs> so do you, do you think it's a double-edged sword that the, the discipline that you develop can give rise to kind of quite extreme behaviors on either side and how would you deal with the consequences of that if it's if it's binging or um being too uptight with with food uh, yeah, it, it doesn't always, but it certainly can be a double-edged sword. Um, that personality trait that allows bodybuilders to be bodybuilders and, and therefore succeed um, is also what gets them into trouble a lot of the times. Um, I think you know a good example is that um, bodybuilders tend to be very obsessive, um, and they find out all the information that could help them optimize what they're doing. Um, however, that means that they're susceptible to, based on their critical thinking skills and their knowledge level, uh, finding things that may not be optimal and then managing it just as a just-in-case kind of mentality. I would give the example of myself in 2007. This is before I had a bachelor's degree or uh, I think I had two personal training certifications and i have been lifting for two years. Um, and, you know, some people might think I am, like, gifted for, for you know, critical thinking or, or bodybuilding stuff, but I couldn't you know, even in 2007 when there was less information out there, I couldn't parse myself through all the different data and figure out what mattered and what didn't. So I just kind of went, well, you know what, if, if I'm unsure, I'll just do it anyway, just to make sure I'm, you know, crossing all my T's and dotting all my I's. And I didn't combine uh, carbs and fats and meals. I ate every two to three hours. I made sure I got a uh, peri-workout window in within 30 minutes. Um, I did a lot of unnecessary, I didn't eat a lot of quote unquote unclean foods because maybe it does matter if it doesn't. And, and I eventually, uh, had amassed a whole host of rules that created me a lot of unnecessary stress, but did not actually give me any kind of benefit. But how was I to know that? So I think a big piece of what I do as a coach on kind of the, you know, the hashtag science side of it is just helping um, athletes understand what does the, the current evidence we have suggest is worth managing. And everything that is not looks like go of that. So I typically end up cutting people's supplement lists and into you know a third of what it was. Um, I change them from you know sucking down you know maltodextrin mid mid arm arm day to well A, probably not doing an arm day and then B, let's just make sure we have protein within two hours pre and post. Um, you know, loosening the restrictions on, the, on their, their food intake uh, and, you know, allowing them more flexibility in meal timing, uh, meal competition of macronutrients, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, so that uh, I can basically give them what are the things we know and then they can pour all the energy into that. And then the coaching for a good chunk of time is a lot of Q&A and explaining the basics so that they can trust uh, the fact that uh, we're doing things very differently. And um, once they 
I think a lot of the Q and A has just been them basically feeling me out. You know, is this guy really know what he's talking about? Uh, and is is it really true that GI doesn't matter? That type of thing. And I've been there myself. You know, I, I've got I, that, that's a, that's another thing. Is bodybuilders tend to be <clears throat> very invested in control. Uh, control is very important. So optimization and control. And if you understand those mindsets, you can't just be like, "I oh, just trust me, bro." Um, they need to. You need to empower the athlete. They need to understand what you understand to some degree. They don't need to get a freaking PhD, but uh, they need to understand the basic logic behind the science so that, um, and develop the critical thinking so that they can not be constantly susceptible to new information as it comes out um, and uh, develop kind of that filter. So then, A, you're just decreasing the amount of things that, they, that can cause potential neuroses. While you're doing that, you're also working on the behavior that's underlying it all. Um, you know, questioning, getting getting the question whether or not optimizing everything is actually sustainable. You know, so that the big, the kind of the door to get into the brain of a bodybuilder is is talking to them about performance. There's no way around it. Like if you just tell them this isn't as healthy, then they're like, yeah, that's great. I don't care. You know, or have you thought about your psychological health? And it's like, I, have you thought about the fact that I want a gold medal? You know, it's like okay. Um, so a lot of the times I, I try to explain and look, look out. Do you want to be competing when you're in your 40s and 50s? And the answer is almost always yes. You know, um, a lot of times they don't see themselves doing anything else. They are bodybuilders. Um, so then it goes, okay, well, if we want to compete in our 40s and 50s, how do you think doing that last prep that you did before you came to me, how would that go if you did that every single season, every single year? And you know, they go, oh my God, I would, I would quit in three years. I quit in four years or five years or something like that. Um, so that is kind of how I open that door. It's talking about sustainability, um, whether or not we're looking to be optimal right now or optimal over the long haul, and then just focusing on the things that really do matter. Um, that frees up a lot of mental energy and mental space. Uh, and then, depending on on how how the person is, you know, whether they're a more well balanced person that has interests outside of bodybuilding or not, or has a family, et cetera, or a career, uh, helping them find more balance. In those areas, there's a lot of fairies going on right now. <laughs> Just covering up the farts. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's, there's fairies. Um, I had terrible gas with this diet of <laughs> But what you said, Eric, like really resonates. Like I, Certainly the frequency of questions that were coming out of me and, me and Johnny during, as we got leaner is correlated with and, and as you said it comes from a place of at least for me it was like am I going to be okay like mm -hmm. am I just going to get fat <laughs> and I did just want you to be like Yusuf it's going to be okay I've read the papers you know and um, I, I'm i sure a lot of people listening if the fact they're listening to this podcast are also the kind of people that have to have a clear rationalization for every mm. um, thing that they do and I remember being a kid and people being like don't look at the sun I think, well, fuck you, I'm going to look at the sun. And it's only when someone says, like, it will kill the cells in your retina, and you're like, oh. Oh, that's why. Then, fine. But until, yeah. By the way, Yusuf is blind for those who want to watch Just spent yeah. ages looking at the sun in protest. Like, <laughs> do you want to be able to see when you are 30? Yes, no. Like, mm, okay. I might not look at the sun. <laughs> well, that, that's it. And it's much more powerful when it comes from mm. the client. You can elicit it from them rather than just be like, don't do this. It's bad for you. And because they always speak like that. Yeah. Something that um, this is kind of a bit of a segue, but something I think something else that I remember discussing with you when we were discussing that stuff was the idea that there is not, um, in the same way that there's no magic macros or no magic amount of calories, and it's 
Um, well, there is. Like Eric told us that the. But it, yeah, yeah, but you, yeah, to, yeah, but you can't. No, not you're to not allowed to say yeah. that. Um, <laughs> if, you go to, if you go to one of Eric's seminars um, when he does a weekend in various cities, he will tell you the magic macros, but you're never allowed to repeat them. You, you have to swear this oath and you get spanked with a paddle and it's all quiet. <laughs> yeah. there, there's a, a 2,000 euro cost to get into the, the seminar, and then there's an NDA that everyone signs. That's it. uh, it's legit. You'll have to wear a special hat and dance around the thing. But you have the magic macros at the end, so it's all great. It. But um, yep. just how there isn't magic macros there, there also isn't um like a magic training volume or magic sets reps load and that i suppose I, the thing that i notice when coaching people is if they're really neurotic about i need this many grams of carbs this many grams of fat they also are really neurotic about well if I'm, am i doing four sets or three or is it seven sets or is it seven seven sets seven reps or, or five and so i suppose that kind of ties in with some of the rpe based stuff and training by how it feels or um by your performance on the day. So do you want to tell us a little bit about, tell us about your PhD. <laughs> okay, I can, I can do that, yeah. So um, yeah, basically my whole PhD is, is, is based on uh, methods of auto-regulating resistance training, specifically in powerlifting, but obviously it can be applied to any type of resistance training. Um, and uh, there's a really smart guy named Mike Tuscher, who was a very high-level powerlifter from the States and also a very good coach. Uh, who kind of pioneered the idea of using uh, what's called an RPE scale, a rating of perceived exertion, uh, to quantify intensity of effort on each set uh, based on repetitions in reserve. So how many reps you feel you could do at the end of a set. Uh, so if you went to failure, that would be a 10 out of 10. Uh, if you had one rep in reserve, that would correspond to a 9 RPE, 2, 8, and on downward. Um, so we did some of the first research myself along with uh, Dr. Serdos and his team at Florida Atlantic University kind of validating that scale in trained and untrained lifters while they went up to a, a max on squats. And since that study that was conducted, I want to say in 2013, uh, a fair amount of work has been done. Uh, there's also a group, I want to say there in Australia, uh, led by Hackett at all the study in 2012 and the one that just recently came out kind of just looking at the accuracy of estimating repetitions in reserve. And um, basically, we've found that in trained lifters, people are pretty damn good when they're near to failure, say within three reps of gauging that. And uh, actually, it's more accurate uh, than using the traditional, original like Borg RPE. Borg is the researcher who developed the original RPE scale that's based on um, not repetitions in reserve, but just the straight up perceived difficulty. So extremely high effort would be like a 10, and moderately difficult would be like a 6, that type of thing. Um, so anyway, uh, my PhD is all based around doing training studies and using this specific RPE scale based on RIR uh, to regulate training. So I've done a study where uh, we looked at using what's called a RPE stop, also known as a fatigue percentage, uh, where a certain back off percentage is decreased from the top set load and you continue to do sets until you hit a certain RPE. So you might start with, let's say, 100 kilos for eight reps at eight RPE, reduce the load by 4% to 96 kilos, and then you would do that easier load until you got back to an eight RPE and that would regulate how many sets you did based on how quickly you fatigue. Um, that's in, 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 uh, on its first draft right now and we're gonna submit that pretty soon, just looking at how volume changes with that. And then also I've got a few studies on how accurate uh, the RPE is. Um, and then uh, the, the very last study I just recently completed while I was in Florida is an actual training study 
where we took trained males performing the bench press and the squat over eight weeks, uh, and then just saw who got bigger, who got stronger, and um, what kind of RPEs were called in a group using straight up percentages, um, and a group that did not use percentages, but instead used an RPE range. So for example, they might be told, all right, the goal is to do three sets of eight today, uh, and in between a six to eight RPE. So if it fell, so they would select the load on their own, do the set, and then afterwards they'd call the RPE. If it was between a six to eight, they could manipulate the load as they wanted, up to them. If it fell outside of the six to eight range, then, then there would be kind of like an auto adjustment uh, based on a certain percentage. We would up, up or down adjust at 2% for every half RPE they were above or over. Uh, and then, you know, just seeing how that system played out over time. Did you do any psychometric testing on the, the percentage based and the RPE based? You did? Yes. So every time they came in the gym three days a week, they would uh, first report uh, what's called a PRS, perceived recovery status, which is basically kind of the inverse of RPE. It's a one to 10 scale of how ready you are. So 10 would be, I feel great and I expect greatly improved performance. Uh, you know, a one or a zero would be, um, I can't believe I'm alive right now. And if <laughs> I, I lift, I'm probably going to die. Uh, and then in, everywhere in between, uh, kind of like seven to 10 is improved performance, you know, four to six would be uh, normal performance, less than that. They would expect poor than normal performance. And then they also completed uh, what's called the DALDA. That's D-A-L-D-A. That's um, a psychometric form in sports science uh, that stands for uh, the daily analysis of life demands of athletes. And it's like a, I want to say, 34 in total questions that you just mark A, B, or C. A is worse than normal. B is normal. C is better than normal. So it asks things like, you know, how, how does your... Uh, relationships in life feel, how does your um, muscle soreness feel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so we'll be looking at correlations between training volume and those and the PRS and um, how those affected things. How did the taper in the intro week using RPE or percentages change those? And did one group seem to incur more or less stress than the other? Um, and also in the group that used percentage 1RM to dictate their loading, we still got RPE scores after every set. They were just not used to actually program their load. Okay. So that way we'll be able to actually compare between the groups who was training at a higher or lower RPE. Awesome. Uh, it's kind of a cool way to gauge things. Because I think we both did an RPE-based program. <laughs> Our memories of it were just wrecked. Pretty so, brutal. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but I think probably the best results we've I ever had. the RPE program. Well, so that's... I think that's, you probably did as yeah, well. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what I was getting at when I, meant, when I was saying, you know, when you're picking these people. And I think Mike T sort of clarifies or says you know it works with a certain type of personality and you have to be so i can't remember the phrase it's not passive aggressive something like <laughs> it's that. a control controlled aggressive that's the one not, pa not passive yeah. aggressive but passive that aggressive that, that just means you're british so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go in the gym make some bitchy comments it's and... basically yousef that's how you would describe yousef but um yeah because i think i think both of us were like th set three out of nine great that's it max triple um, and then I drop it and then I do another max triple and, and I think we just were doing heavy lifting a lot probably um, so we got strong by attrition I think um, I think mm. it was probably the best progress I've, I've yeah, made in a short period really of time but same. yeah just by absolute nuclear force <laughs> I did quite a lot to my total yeah but <laughs> I, like I, I remember enjoying it but I think it, it again it, it what it what I got out of it the most I think was that when I see a percentage and a load on a piece of paper it, there's nothing 
inherently perfect or magical about like that the coach that's programmed that hasn't thought ah johnny needs 182.5 today um and anything else is a failure um i think that's probably the biggest thing i got out of just training with rp for a while but i found it quite initially quite difficult because it's completely different to anything else you'd see programming wise unless you maybe you work with a coach in person so do you think do you think are you seeing that barrier when you're working with people using these systems yeah, so it's interesting. Um, I'll talk about the study because I, I think it was really cool just to see because while we're, we, we're not really allowed to coach, not even not really, we're not allowed to coach people during the study. Like their form is their form. So long as they can hit depth and touch their chest with the bench and the squat, then they're good to go. And they might maybe doing things that makes this very cringeworthy, you know, like saying huge butt tuck and coming onto their toes, but we can't change it because um, that, that can, you know, change the outcome of the results. Likewise, oh, if they do a set, if they do a set and, and I'm like, oh, that was a nine and a half, and they go, seven. We write down seven, you know? Okay. So, yeah, so we, we, we wanted to encapsulate, you know, the, the true way that this plays out. Um, and, you know, they would learn, though. Because, I mean, if you think about it, like I said, let's say it's a six to eight RPE is the goal range. And the actual reality was it was damn near max. It was a nine and a half, but they called it seven. Now they're free to adjust the load as they want. And if they stay the same or go up, what's probably going to happen on the next set is they're going to miss a rep, right? So when they miss a rep, that automatically takes it out of their out of their hands. You know that counts as a 10 RPE at the number of reps they did get. So if the goal was eight reps at a six to eight, and they did seven at a 10, now the auto adjust drops the load massively, and they start to learn that oh, if I get too egotistical and overzealous and miss reps, now I don't get to control my own weight, and the researchers make me do lighter loads. So they start to they automatically start to learn to be more conservative. Um, so it kind of helps people who are too aggressive. You know, in multiple weeks, everyone tend to get better over time, which is not surprising. Um, however, there are actually, you'd be surprised, you know, because we're in a kind of bodybuilding, powerlifting culture. There are people on the other end of the spectrum. I had a participant who did the exact same weight on day one, four weeks in a row. Oh, and, nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> RPEs are going up, but the load's staying the same. Even the reps were going down. It was kind of like a linear program. And I'm just kind of thinking, <laughs> you know, and they're allowed to consult their, tra- their training. So I, I was encouraging, hey, you know, if you want to check your training log, you know, just, just feel free, you know. And uh, so, it, but it's, uh, it's, it's funny that uh, there are people on both ends of the spectrum. Um, but I would like to emphasize, these are probably the outliers, the people who are three RPE off or way, way, way too conservative. The most people who are trained lifters, you know, are, are the study the study participants we had spent at least two years in the gym uh, and performing squat and bench press at least once a week with no longer than I th- say I think a month off. Um, they overall, um, from what I can tell so far, I haven't run the full stats, but the, like the, the mean and the median and kind of the norm of what people did in the study was pretty good usage of their RPG scale, you know, um, and I would say, you know, sometimes people will go, oh, the percentage one around is going to be much more. You know, specific and accurate. It's objective, and I, well, it's objective, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's valid. There's studies where you take endurance-trained athletes and pure strength athletes, and you have them do an AMRAP at 80% of one RM, and you get like six to eight reps in one group, and then like 15 in the other, just to show how um, how different training backgrounds, genetic profiles, and training experience can massively change what you would expect. 15 um, reps with 80%. Correct, which makes you think: Was there one RM a real one RM? And yeah. probably not. You know, they're an endurance trained athlete. They mm-hmm. don't they don't know how to do a one RM on squat. 
but also you'd think that having a, uh, a very high fatigue resistance as an endurance athlete and constantly training uh, for, for you know distance and, and type of in, in muscular endurance type of efforts would, would probably modify that as well. And then the genetic traits that would lead them to compete in endurance training might also affect that. Um, so there's the further you get from a percentage, uh, 100% of one RM, that accuracy, the standard deviation starts multiplying massively. And once you get past 80% of one RM, it's all over the show. Um, there was a study that I, I did some analysis for at Azurlis' lab where they did a one RM with trained lifters, and trained lifters who prim primarily are not you know, endurance athletes, and then had them do an AMRAP with 70% of their one RM. And there were people who got nine reps, and there were people who got 21 reps. So that's not even like us grabbing cyclists. That's 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 basically saying, hey, you know, the standard prescription that we might do as coaches are like, you know, let's do three by eight, seventy percent of one RM, right? For the dude who can only do nine reps, that's going to crush him. The first set will be a nine RPE. The next one will probably be a ten, and the next one, he may not be able to get all eight reps unless he rests like for ten minutes, you know. However, the person who can do twenty-one reps. That is, is, he might as well not be training. I mean, he's like, wow. So I had 13 reps in reserve in my first set, you know? Mm. Doesn't even register so, on the RP scale. So what's exactly. the implication then the for, for programming if you've got such individual variants and you, you, can, you can't really rely on the percentage tables? What, what are that the magic reps and sets, basically? That's what we're <laughs> asking. Well, well, basically, that's the rationale for why RPE might be a useful thing. That not only, um, you know, intensity of effort, uh, so, not, so not only intensity of load, like an objective quantification of percentage 1RM, but also intensity of effort should probably be prescribed. Um, and that's something I'm going to write into the discussion in this paper, that it doesn't necessarily have to be either or, percentage 1RM or RPE. They might work very well in conjunction. Uh, like I would say probably, like, like you said, Johnny, you know, when you first start training with RPE, unless you're used to that or have had in-person coaching, um, that's a pretty difficult thing to get your head around. Uh, so, like, just knowing what load to pick for the first set was something that the participants had a lot of trouble with. And we aided that by picking a loads for them just in the very first week of training, in the intro week, to help them kind of get an idea of how you make that selection. But if we hadn't done that, we would have been seeing loads all over the place. Like, they, yeah, I don't know what eight reps at eight RPE is. Mm -hmm. You know, I just train. Uh, so... <laughs> uh, so maybe a, a system where your first set is a percentage one RM. So like, let's say I want you to do three to five, and in my head I'm thinking I want this to be a you know seven to nine RPE. So that three by five first set I want you to use 85% of one RM, and then you rate the RPE, and then there's an adjustment based on that. So let's say you rate that first one at a six. Okay, the load goes up you know four percent of whatever the load was, and then you rate the next RPE, and then if it falls within seven to nine, no change. If it, you hit a nine and a half, it goes down two percent. So it's kind of like this. Uh, way of ensuring that the programmed intended intensity of effort uh, is actually what, what is matched. So you use in conjunction. And I, I've been creating spreadsheets that do, do that now. Um, but yeah, like I said, not everyone has the right personality for it. I think you can help those people by using that combined approach to some degree. Um, but some people really just need a percentage 1RM. And as a coach, you just kind of have to figure out what their ability at, is at various percentages, and then you just program for them because they will uh, push it too hard or be too conservative. I suppose what you're doing with, you know, what you're talking about with kind of programming that into a spreadsheet so that it's like if-then statements for RPE but ratings on each set, you're kind of engendering the experience of someone who's been lifting for 15 years and someone who hasn't been lifting for 15 years because I think that's probably what, that's probably where people get to 
in their experience they're like oh that set was easier than planned i'll adjust the weight etc is that yep yeah cool and that's the whole i mean if, if you if you read some of uh, mike t's original thoughts and rationale behind why he created reactive training uh you know his, his his name for using this type of training system um is because he was finding out through his studies that yeah if you spend 10 years lifting you can do this automatically mm. uh, or, or intuitively but what about for the first 10 years can we make that more efficient is there a way to to systematize that to at least kind of um, help people do that earlier and that that is one thing i do recommend is is before someone actually starts using rpe and training um, as a way of prescribing load uh, just to rate it just so you start thinking, even if you just use a strict percentage one RM program, uh, just so you're aware of where you think you are a distance from failure, so that if you do ever decide to use RPE to program, it's not a foreign concept. Spend some time sort of getting a feel for it first before you just dive in. So do you program RPE for everybody? I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed doing the RPE-based program, but um, it was I was at a time in my life where I had a lot of free mental space to really dive into training and, and really get my teeth into it. Whereas sometimes you'll come in the gym and um, the thought of something like an RPE program, which is quite, or at least I find it quite cerebral and having to do every mm. set and try and judge it. And I'd rather just have some prescriptions and be like, I'm just going to come in, pump out what needs to be done. And, and, you know, at least when you're in kind of a busy period. So is that something that you account for? with people and the programming choice. We used to joke that with RPE, you'd have to come in and like test like barometer, like wind, you know, t Celsius. It's the, <laughs> wind direction, yeah. yeah get how it hot or cold is the bar? <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I'm the same. Like you, you can't just, if you have 40 minutes to train, it's like, it feels like a lot, there's a lot of effort to just come in, do your session, leave again, because you're thinking like, oh my God, was that an 8.5 or was it a nine? Like, oh, I'll ring Yusuf and ask him. <laughs> So like, <laughs> would you have it? What, what's your experience with that? There, there are definitely some workarounds for that. So I would say, a, I don't program RPE with everyone. Kind of my default when I first work with someone is I give them percentage one RMs in the main lifts, and then I will give them RPE on some of their secondary lifts um, that are a little more discrete, single joint movements or machines. So there's less comp complexities involved in trying to figure out what the RPE was, and I just don't think there's a lot of value in doing a one RM lap pull down program. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's a useful tool for secondary movements that also gets them aware of it. Um, a nice thing, when they're very, very, very first introduced to it, uh, just tracking RPE can be useful on the main lifts even if they're not using it. That way they can just, if, if, if you don't think the RPE is going to change the load or you need to change your load based on RPE, you're much more willing to just give an intuitive, yeah, it seemed like an 8, you know. And that was something we definitely noticed in the group that was percentage 1RM based that just gave an RPE after each set. They give it to us within 10 seconds of being asked. However, our, our RPE-based group, who knew they had you know, a five to seven minute rest period after each set, and that their selection would then dictate the load on the bar sometimes, um, and they have to choose the load on the bar and choose the RPE every set, we might not hear from them for three minutes while they were <laughs> right. sitting there oh, staring, at, <laughs> staring at the whiteboard. <laughs> you know? Spreadsheet. Um, yeah, yeah. Looking at past training logs, sometimes they get the calculator out and put it in from kilos into pounds because they're Americans and they wanted to figure out. I would discourage that. Like, look, don't just choose the weight that's 225. Like, actually think what the RPE was, you know. Um, but I want to do 315 today. Like, that doesn't matter. What's the RPE? Um, 
So I think, and that actually might might have been a part of the the, the difficulty for some of the American subjects is that uh, the the loads were in kilos, so they didn't mean much to the person, especially in the beginning of the program. You know, four or five weeks in, they had an experience of what 100 and 120 or 80 and 140 felt like. But um, so yeah, I think it does tend to result in a much more cerebral training experience, which can be stressful or, or just at the very least annoying sometimes. Um, which is why I think probably a combined approach might be better where you have a percentage one RM dictate initial load and then an adjustment, uh, if only if you fall outside the prescribed RPE range. So that way it can be a little more automatic um, and, and doesn't take as much thought from the person on a set-to-set basis. So um, to answer your question, what I do these days is still in process. You know, um, the experience of my PhD has fortunately, as, as I, I think it should if you're trying to do an applied PhD that's supposed to change your practice, making me rethink the way I program what's appropriate and what the best way to do it is. And I have a feeling in the next couple of weeks even, as I start to analyze the data from the study I just did, um, my spreadsheets will probably change. The way I talk to my clients will probably change. Um, because uh, while I did have plenty of experience prescribing RPE via distance, um, I'm not in the gym with the person every session. Um, and for the online coaches listening to this or people who train themselves, uh, there are some useful things you can do if you don't have a coach. Um, videotaping, just every, now that it's so easy to do that, um, videotaping each one of your sets and then calling an RP after looking at that tends to reduce the amount of time you spend in your head. Or if you just weren't fully aware of the sensation of how that lift went, like sometimes, uh, if, I, if I'm just training, I'll do a set and I'll be like, shit, I didn't actually think about it. Well, I didn't really think after the set. Like, I might have gotten some water, talked to my friend. I look back and I'm like, oh, crap, I need to record my RPE. <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah, so you, yeah, you guys laugh because we've all done that. If, mm-hmm. if anyone is trained with RPE, there is a level of awareness you have to kind of maintain. So recording um, the, uh, the set is a useful way to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, in the future, velocity is also going to be something that's going to be more and more accessible to the average person uh, to where you're not having to spend $2,000 to get a linear position transducer that we use in training studies and actually can get maybe a $100 or $200 um, this thing that can tell you the speed of the bar. Squats and science, is that what they're called? Yep. Yeah. Squats and science, the, uh, the OBS. Yep. Yeah. Because I, no- I noticed they, um, they were releasing like, what, did they release the code for a 3D printer or something like that? Yeah, so it's open source code, and mm-hmm. you can, and they've, they've given the, the blueprint to print it on a 3D printer, or you can just pay them um, to, to do it. And it's still a much more reasonable price compared to, say, a Tendo or a Gymaware, the, the most common uh, ones used in science. Um, the, the only downside, in my mind, to the velocity-based technology is that you are a bit limited by the technology. Sometimes you'll get a misreading or it'll count one rep as two. Um, and you have to get an individual velocity load profile. At this stage um, of velocity-based research, you need to you know, go through a testing session where you do like a, an 8.6 and a 2RM to get your profile so it can actually predict where your load should be at or where you're at. Um, because you know, where Johnny and I max at um, will both be close to, say, maybe 0.2 meters per second on the squat. He might be 0.16 and I might be 0.24, depending on limb length, training experience, and just kind of our genetic differences. And you know, when you're when you're at that, near, if you're near a max, especially, or you're trying to train at a relatively high intensity, being off by you know 
0.08 meters per second might not seem like much, but that can be a huge difference in the load you'd select or, or the decision you'd make for attempt selection. So, uh, um, yeah, but there's a lot of research being done in this area. Uh, future research will look at limb length and this impact on velocity, so we can kind of tighten those equations more and more um, to see if uh, having longer limbs will will change the the speed at which one might max on This is just all <laughs> angling. I can just feel it building to taking the piss out of my legs. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, a huge amount of variables, though. In all seriousness, like it sounds um, sounds like pretty pretty complex. I'm looking forward to seeing the results of your <clears throat> your study and how people build on it. Um, I don't yeah, know I'm, I'm seen... pretty excited for that too. I don't know whether you've seen our Instagram, not that you, you ever would see our Instagram, but there is, I'm basically getting bullied on the internet at the moment because of my legs. 99% of comments are all about Johnny's legs and the I'll, rest are just requests for nudes. So <laughs> yeah. I'll post depressing. like a deadlift PB and I'm like, yes, and everyone's like, whoa, why are your legs so wide apart? Why are your legs so long? Like, I don't know why. Why are your femurs longer than your body? Is that <laughs> physically possible? Like... His crotch is there, so it always causes problems. But like, yeah. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. what you said as well about like the attack—it sounds really stupid, but I, I, I'm a massive sucker for this—is the attachment to certain loads, even though they are just arbitrary, mm. and thinking like, yeah. oh no, but I want to get 180, 200 today because whatever, even though it, like it is totally meaningless, and often that can just throw off your RPE. But for some reason, we think that's more important to hit the the number for kind of ego's sake than. To yeah, like to when like you've got a client two point five or something. Yeah, like when you've got a client who you want to hit a two ninety five deadlift and he attempts three hundred and misses it. <laughs> exactly like that. <laughs> what a what an idiot that guy would be. <laughs> I remember I remember saying to you like, but Eric, I really want three hundred. You're like, why? It's like six hundred and what is it? Sixty six pounds. Yeah. yeah, like why? Why it's do you count? Yeah, it's like the devil's number. Yeah. I was when you when you said you gave. An American a group of American lifters kilos was that just to fuck with them or was it is that to remove some oh, of the it, 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 not on purpose but that's just the way science is done you always oh, do I things see. in kilograms because kilos yeah and we so that the lab because kilos yeah because because yeah. science yeah but um <laughs> but so like yeah also it's because if you like the lab at um that Zerdos has is a very powerlifting centric lab so he has like uh, I want to say one two three four five ERX. Um, and calibrated uh, Alico and Ivanko plates and nice. Alico bars. So everything is calibrated, you know, within five grams the way it should be. Um, and it's all powerlifting spec. So, um, yeah. So e even if you do a USAPL meet, which is the IPF affiliate in the States, they have like, they give you a sheet when you do your attempt selection. So it sews all the kilos to how <laughs> it pounds. So that, wow. you know, if you want to do what you, you're used to in training, you have to go to the nearest two and a half kg increment. Um, so it ended up being something that was probably good for the participants in kind of quote unquote blinding them to the actual load. Um, but it wasn't intentional. It's just the way that, that, uh, that science is done. You always do things in kilograms. I quite like to be able to train with pound plates for a while and just be completely numbed to what weight I was using to have someone be an interesting experience. I experienced that when I moved to New Zealand, but the other right. way. So I, you know, I, yeah, from 2004 to 2012 with pounds. And then when I came here, Barb and I at first were like, should we be trying to convert it all the time? I was like, you know what, let's just not. Let's not even think about it, let's just train. And it was a very positive experience because I, uh, I got more in touch with how it felt, uh, which was a good thing. Uh, and this was you know, two years before I even started my PhD. Um, but um, yeah, it was, I was 
just kind of getting more used to like oh, how close to failure was that, which is probably setting the stage pretty well for it. And sometimes you'd surprise yourself and be like, oh shit, that was, I thought that was like 350, it was actually 374, you know? And then other times you'd be like, that was only 290? Oh my God, you know, like I'm really not strong today. Um, which was a, a useful thing to kind of help you realize that there is a natural variation in your strength levels and not to get too hung up on what happened on bench on Wednesday, you know? And you're like, I'm going to do a PhD in this, I think, now that I... <laughs> That's, That's right. awesome, man. Awesome. So do you still think in pounds, or have you ruined the ability to blind yourself now because you, you just you think in both? Because you always seem pretty yeah. comfortable in kilos. Like You, you mentioned the 222.5 kilo squat before. Was that just for our benefit? Uh, no, I'm very comfortable going both ways. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to click that out, and then we'll put that as the, the intro. We'll put it on loop. Facebook ad. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna, well, I was going to say, in addition to that, I'm also very good with both pounds and kilos. So, yeah. Oh, we should let him finish. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. what she said. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I can actually drive on left and right side of the road. Um, I can I can oh, switch to yeah, yeah. in a car, and I can also do that in the gym. So I'm pretty. You can drive well, on, on the, the right side on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, British superiority. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Cool. Right. Um, we don't want to keep you too much longer, Eric. I'm sure you're a very, very busy guy. Um, or you, you are a very, very busy guy. I know. Um, but we just wanted to chat very, very briefly about, obviously, you have two pretty awesome books that now exist that didn't mm. exist the last time we chatted. And interestingly, the only time I've ever seen... Um, and this could just be because I don't read enough strength-based information online, but the only time I've ever seen a percentage and an RP prescription is in some of the training programs in the back of that. Oh. Are we so, good to do it? My thing <laughs> randomly hung up. Did, 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 uh, that, that's fine. We've, uh, we, we got cut off there. Johnny's run away because uh, he, he was too upset. Here he is. Just playing with <laughs> Building up to my final question. <laughs> did it ruin the, the recording? Are we good? No, no, we're good. We'll... Um, just okay. I was like, it just hung up, and I was like, oh my god, I hope that didn't wreck it. <laughs> it looked like it looked like you went like, yeah. Because oh, then... <laughs> to be 100% honest, there a uh, fairy started coming, and I knew it was gonna be loud. I tried to click mute, and I hung up. Uh, <laughs> uh... <laughs> I thought you like panic stations. Oh, no. He's asking me about the books. Yeah. I oh, I didn't write them. Oh my god. You want to try that again? Yeah. So um, the only time I've ever seen a percentage prescription and an RP prescription is in the training version of your book. You're not going to hang up this time. It's <laughs> 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 in the, tra the training version of your book. So we've both we've both read them. I think they're fantastic. Um, awesome. I don't really know what to ask you about them. Well, how uh, like how how can someone get access to them? Like I, that's a good they, they are phenomenal books they are really good, yeah. anybody who um wants to touch up on their in, on their training and diet information it is just all in there, all in and, there. It's, and it's all prioritized correctly it's all you'll come away with a a nice clear picture whereas i think most books will always either be selling some kind of agenda some kind of um thing that they will try and uh position it over and above other modalities and you'll end up coming away thinking i've got no idea what I'm doing or you know you rotate through and you think every 
recent thing that you've read is the best approach out there until you see the next one. So it's really good to see it all just put into perspective. Rather than you telling us where to get them, we'll we'll put a link of where to get them. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> ah, the internet. Uh, I understand yeah, the inter- how. That's how the internet works. So yeah, we'll 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 put a link in the in the show notes to this of where to get them. But um. What can you tell us about about the book basically? <laughs> so when when we spoke years ago, back you guys are doing you guys are doing so great though. I kind of feel like you guys. This is we've had sales training and everything. Right, this is. Uh... <laughs> so when when we spoke back in, I think it must have been two thousand twelve, two thousand eleven. Um, these were kind of ideas that you've, over the years you've kind of formalized, and they were initially some sort of low budget videos on a <laughs> on a whiteboard on YouTube, and, yeah, just, and they've wow. turned. <laughs> Low budget. <laughs> and now they've turned into these like film Vita Cleaner microphone. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, they're amazing. They're my they're a Samsung S three on a chair on a table. Oh <laughs> yeah. Great. Good views though. It's yeah, in nice. portrait mode and I think in one case which got a lot of complaints, which made me almost want to do all of them in portrait mode just to be a dick. <laughs> um, but uh yeah, so yeah, they were originally just the what came out of me uh, I had to work a lot to afford to move out to New Zealand um, and all the way through my, first, my, my master's that I did out here. Uh, and I was clocking probably on average four Skype consultations a week for close to a year, um, which means it, half of those were a new person every time who was looking for programming advice, Q&A, all that kind of stuff. And I started to realize that 90% of those people had the same issues as they, they didn't understand priorities. And they didn't understand how all the vast amount of information that they consumed fit together and how the way each article is written is every single article makes it seem like it's the most important thing. Um, so that was where the, con- the concept of creating a hierarchy came from. And that was where the muscle and strength pyramids were born from. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that was kind of where it started. And then Andrea had the idea of making uh, it into an ebook, the, the, the nutrition one specifically. And then Andy Morgan, uh, who is a... Uh, an awesome dude who is, you know, basically he's a he's a Brit who's out in in Japan who is uh, making a strong effort to make some evidence based changes there. He so he's also a previous make... guest on the Propane Fitness podcast. If you if you guys check back and you're listening on iTunes, you can listen to uh, Andy Morgan and um, all of his uh, foibles. Foibles, yeah, he's foibles on there. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> his escapades. Well, like it. We'll cut. We'll cut that out. Sorry, all right, what were you saying? Escapades and foibles, my goodness. Um, yeah, after, after we come back from tea time, um, then uh, anyway, so... So, so yeah, so Andy Morgan is an awesome guy, and I'm glad you guys have had him on. I didn't know that. That's, that's great, though. I probably did know that. I just forgot. But anyway, he um, contacted me about making a free version, just a kind of ebook version of the, um, the training pyramid, Right around the same time as Andrea had the idea to do a, a book version, and I said, "Hey, let's the three of us get together and really make an awesome couple set of books here, and, and just put our, our heart and soul into them." And that's what happened. Um, and uh, so, yeah, they're they're available obviously through the, the links they'll be provided, and uh, they're greatly expanded upon the videos. They're updated research through 2015. We're working on the second edition now. That's probably going to come out next year. Um, and uh, yeah, if you if you buy the bundle, you get lifetime updates, which is pretty cool. They have like six sample programs, a nutrition calculator, which shows you how to uh, set up your nutrition, and it goes through all of the nuances of everything, how to uh, how to taper, all, all the stuff that I uh, only glossed over in the videos is, is in depth covered. So it's it's almost like the videos are kind of like the cliff notes to these 
books, I would say, these days. Um, question for you guys is, when is this podcast going to come out? It will come out on... Sunday. How do I get... The following Sunday from now. I can't... I can't oh, so Chinese calendar, like, a, like a week from now. Yeah. Mm. Okay. A week and so a half won't. I won't mention that we're having a Black Friday, Cyber Monday sale, or people will just be mad when they hear this. Oh, but, uh, actually, guys, missing out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, all good. But uh, yeah, but that, that, that's the books. They're um, kind of the conglomeration of everything I've learned as a coach and a scientist and an athlete put into a very usable format. And you guys already sung the praises so much. I appreciate it. I'm glad it's been well, so, well, so well received by you guys because you guys know your stuff. So. Yeah, you used a silky smooth sales pitch prior, prior to that. So... Uh... <laughs> Hundreds of sales. Budget videos, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, they are they are fantastic. Um, I've actually used the advanced powerlifting split out the back of that, which was um, advanced, but but good. Mm. So, awesome. exactly what it was supposed to be, I suppose. Fantastic. Cool. Think All that's right. it. Yeah, it's yeah. been great chatting to you. Always good to to catch up and see the uh, the development over over the last few years. Um, if you guys have enjoyed this and you want more of the helm, he's obviously got YouTube channel 3dmj.3dmusclejourney.com. Is that right? 3dmusclejourney.com. Cool. Yeah. If we, you want to get helms deep. Yeah, if you want to get helms <laughs> deep. We've also interviewed um, Eric over the last few years as well, but it'll be really uh, recorded over a, a potato and stuff. So, But anyway, you can listen to him and Alberto Nunez um, and as well as really old interview from 2012 yeah maybe don't listen to that maybe don't yeah. in fact should we, let's go back and delete it before <laughs> before anyone hears it. <laughs> that one's pretty good it's just the sound Yusuf can't you know he's, he's like oh, right. <laughs> headache when he's listening to it yeah but yeah Eric really appreciate you coming back and speaking to us always great to chat to you and my pleasure that is everything from this episode of the Propane Fitness Podcast. There will be show notes online at www. I always say www. Don't need to do it these days. On propanefitness.com. Uh, there'll be show notes linked by Eric's book, linked to everything we've discussed, and you can download free ebooks, get the rest of our podcasts, watch webinars, the whole works. So make sure you check that out. And Eric's pecs are dancing. Great. All right. We'll speak to you next time. Awesome. <laughs>